You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. My name is Matt. If I haven't met you, I'm I've, one of our pastors here at Grace Community Church. I've been on staff for like 15 years now, which is a blessing. Um, you guys have held me up for that long. It's crazy. So I appreciate that. I oversee all of our student and college ministries here at Grace, and I'm a part of our elder team and obviously preaching team, which is why I'm up here today. So um, if I haven't met you, we should meet sometime. And for the rest, welcome. Glad that you guys are here today. Hey, Dad. My dad's here today. That's awesome. Okay. Um, and I brought your garage door opener, FYI. Okay. <laughs> Little family business. Hey, we've been, we've been working through the book of uh, Philippians in 15 weeks now, and today we're actually coming to the end of our study. We've been talking about this enduring joy that is available Um, So we're just going to kind of dive in. Now, I know some of you guys, you haven't been here. Um, Some of you guys might be the first time. So um, you're kind of coming into the last scene of a movie, which is weird. But um, I will try and just give you just a brief synopsis of what's going on here. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church that he had planted some 10 years previous. Um, He used to hate Jesus. The Apostle Paul just hated him until he met him face-to-face, and he was changed forever. And it's a long story. You can read about it in the book of Acts 8 and on. Um, I maybe do that today. Um, it, anyway, he's changed, and, and Jesus gives Paul this mission. And so he tells him, he, he tells, he says these words in Acts 9 about the apostle Paul. He says, this man now, this changed Spirit-filled, mission-empowered man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to their kings, and to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So it's not going to be easy for Paul, but God is with him, and so, so he takes off on this mission, this changed man, and he's preaching the gospel, and the gospel that he's preaching is simple. I mean, it's, it's that Jesus Christ is actually the Son of God who's come down to earth, taken on the form of a man and he lives this sinless life and by his death and sacrifice on the cross on our behalf, mankind's behalf, he offers this abundant life and eternal life to all who will simply believe into him. It's incredible gospel. So through much hardship and struggle, he, he, he preaches the gospel and people start responding. People from all walks of life so desperate we are for, for, for that word. And, and so it comes and, we, and they respond. And, and churches, these gatherings of people start being planted in all these cities. And Philippi is one of them. And so this letter is written to that church that he had planted years ago. And so we're just going to read. We'll just pick it up in chapter 4, verse 10. Um, oh yeah, now, now remember, Paul's locked up. Okay, he's in Rome now. Not, I forgot to tell you this. Not everybody's all, all excited about his message. No different than today. So he is actually in prison. He's under house arrest. He's locked up, chained to a Roman guard. And it's there with the chains clanking on his desk that these, these words are written. And I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
I know what it is to be in need and know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, in any and every situation, whether being well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, which was just... Not very far away. You sent me aid more than, more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, he says, but what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and, and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're, they're like this fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice that's pleasing to God, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. So I want to look at a couple things here. Just, just two, two things. We, we, there's, there's a lot we can talk about. I want to look at the generosity of this church, and, and I want to see how it not only informs us, but encourages us as we live out the to, we, we live out the church live here in Gresham. So I want to look at the generosity of it. And then I want to look at this secret Paul's talking about, this, this contentment, regardless of his circumstance that he said he learned. So Paul's locked up. It's important to remember this isn't like doing time at Multnomah County where you get like three squares a day and you have amenities. If your family and friends didn't come to you and, and give you sustenance and the things you needed, you went without. There, there, there wasn't any options. It wasn't subsidized under the government as it is in our day. And so apparently this church in Philippi had heard that Paul was in trouble and locked up. And so they sent some gift. It sounds like it's a financial gift. They, they, they sent it to him through this, this brother, Epaphroditus. And, and we know that they partnered with Paul from the very beginning, right? This is why he says, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. And so it's not that Paul's just out, out there on his own, right? They've partnered with him. And we know that Paul's got Timothy and some, some brothers and sisters around him that obviously are meeting some of his needs. But when he got this gift, it was, it was a, an amazing blessing to him, and so he's super excited about it, and he's rejoicing in the Lord because of them and because of what they are to him. Now, we don't know why the gift was delayed, right? He said, you know, somehow it got delayed. He said, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He's not saying, man, where are those guys at? You know, don't they know I'm here? No, he knows they've always been concerned about him. They've always partnered with him from the very beginning. Something happened. We don't know if they, they lost track of Paul or I mean, we, we just don't know. But Paul's saying, look, man, we've always been in this thing together. I've never forgot that. But I'm, but I'm really excited now that, that this, this tangible expression of your love has showed up. In 14, that's why he says, look, it was good to you, for you to share in my troubles. And I appreciate it. He's grateful. You hear his heart, right? But then he says a couple things that are interesting. He starts to kind of distance himself from the gift. He says, look, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. And then later in 17, it's not that I desire your gifts. What's going on here? Why is he so quick to kind of push away. I think, I think there's a couple reasons. 
I think he wants them to be clear and understand that, that Paul is rejoicing in the Lord greatly, he says. Not simply because of the gift. He's rejoicing in the Lord um, because of what's going on in them. This isn't some money grab. This isn't like Paul saying, hey, you guys finally provided for my needs. You know, where you been? He said, no, no, man, I rejoice because the gospel has taken such deep root in their lives that they have been radically transformed by the Spirit, and they are partnering him with, with, on mission. He, he's saying, look, you guys, you're no longer looking for your security, your identity, all these things in the things of this world, but you willingly are sacrificing to support what we agreed on doing and what I'm doing out here, even as I'm locked up in chains. Man, he's excited about that, which demonstrated or legitimized the very faith that they professed to have. Right? They, they, they had been changed by the gospel, and now you can even see it. These guys were sacrificially and selflessly giving of themselves to Paul and his need. So I think that's one reason he said that. I don't know what just happened to the screen. Why are we on the music? That's weird. Can we go back to that slide? I, I'm sure I did something. I don't know what. Um, but, but these guys were actually embodying... What, what Paul writes back to him in, in chapter 2, right? Do nothing out of, out of selfish ambition or, uh, boom, vain conceit. There it is. But in humility, value others above yourselves. These guys were living it out. So Paul was excited about that. And I think another thing it's, it's good for us to remember. In their day, just like in ours, there were these people that we, we would call, well, nicely, we call them charlatans. But you know who I'm talking about. These clowns that you can see on Sunday morning TV, and in the name of Jesus, they're, they're, they're selling these prayer cloths. Hey, man, send me 50 bucks, send me 100 bucks, and I'll send you this cloth that's got some special anointing on it from God, and, and it'll bless your life, and it'll give you everything you need. Or they show these pictures of these dest- destitute children, and the dude's sitting there in $1,000 cufflinks, and he said, hey, we're trying to raise money so I can get a private jet, so we can fly out and meet the needs of these kids. I mean, I... I seriously want to do bodily harm to these people. All right, let's set up the octagon, man. Let's go. I feel like I don't care. I, I, could, I could, I mean, I'm not that big of a guy, but I could do some harm to that guy. Jesus is helping me. The, 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 the bottom line is, listen, the bottom line is, that's not what Paul was about. I mean, look at his life. Look at the things he suffered. He's been through shipwreck and all these things, abandoned, beaten down, left for dead. Rocks thrown at him till he was almost dead. He's not in it for the money. He would have been gone long ago. And in Paul's day, there was this kind of a patron-client system. It was the kind of the socioeconomic fabric of the Greco-Roman world. And so what people would do is they, is they would sell, um, they, they, would, they would use their money and their resources to buy honor, which was arguably the highest value of that culture. Paul wants nothing to do with that kind of thing. Man, he wants them to know that as much as he appreciates the gifts, he is is not moved. And they in no way affect him from his deep-seated commitment that's found only in Jesus, whom he says um, provides everything he needs. And regardless of his circumstances, Jesus can strengthen him, he says, in every situation. 
And so uh, just a couple brief things we need to think about when we think about generosity and being generous as a church. Two things I see in here are three, actually. One, biblical generosity is literally driven by the gospel. Some of you guys like to take notes, so I filled out the card, or I gave you the card. So, um, this is what I mean. Their motivation and our motivation when we give and when we serve is driven out of the fact that, that Jesus Christ has met our deepest, deepest needs. Man, he, he, is, he is so provided for us, and not only, not only in the spiritual sense, but, but even physically. I mean, look at the family that we have here because of him. And we take care of each other, and we, we pray for each other and encourage each other. Man, he's met those needs. And, and that generosity that we have and that they had is driven, is motivated by the gospel. Plain and simple. Jesus says, man, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Where's your treasure today? I know many of you, your treasure is Christ, and theirs was too, and so we see that that's what drove them to be this generous, sacrificial people. And secondly, biblical generosity, it, it leads to unity and deep fellowship. They gave of themselves and became literal sharers in Paul's afflictions. They knew Paul was hurting, and they actually... They, they, they decided that they were going to hurt with him. And so they, they set aside some of the normal comforts of this world and they took their resources to support him. And they, they suffered together. And there's something about being on common mission that, that creates a partnership. And so, it, it, so it, it, it not only helps the person and when we're generous helps those in need, but it does something within us. It unites us and it creates this common bond as, as we see God using us to, be, to answer blessings and prayers of other people. And it unites us intimately together. Now, I know, I know Bob was talking about this, but um, this thing that we do every year, this Advent conspiracy... Man, I hope that you guys can generously get behind this thing. Not, not only with your money, but with your time, man. Sign up. There's a table out in the lobby. It shows all the things that, that ways that you can be a part of this. But man, why wouldn't we want to invest our resources in, instead of spending all that money on, on Christmas gifts? And look, and kids, you know, yeah, I still want a Christmas gift. But, um, but, but, but maybe I don't need six shirts. You know, one's fine. Um, but, but maybe we take some of that money and reallocate it, because we know most of the gifts we buy, they end up in the local landfill. We know this. I don't, I don't know what I got last Christmas. I'll just be honest with you. I don't. I hope it wasn't something really sweet and precious. Because <laughs> uh, it was a ring. No. Um, anyway, but when we can... We, we can when you donate to this, when you get involved, not only are we supporting um, and providing water for those people overseas that don't have clean water... But, but we're building food boxes for people that are needy right in our community. We're supporting the Good News Clinic that provides physical, mental, and emotional, spiritual care for the underserved in our communities. And, and we throw this huge party. It's a rager here at the church. It's awesome. That for about 100 families that come over from East Gresham that never experience anything like that. And we just pour the love of Christ out on them tangibly. They're gifts for the kids and, and food. And you ought to see the, thing, the responses we get back. Some of you are here because of that. But they know, they sense the love of Christ in that. And so, in doing that, there's a bond and there's a, there's a unity that happens between us 
as we serve together. So that's, that's an awesome thing about biblical generosity. And finally, Paul says that there's a spiritual benefit to being generous. Now, he's not saying that, hey, man, the, the motivation for giving is that God's somehow going to reward you. That is true, but that's not the motivation for it. Paul says that, that the focus of his gratitude was not merely the money, but the blessings that the Philippians were going to receive. There, there's something about this. We see it all through Scripture. Jesus says things like, whatever you sacrifice and give up here, you, you, you will receive a hundred times, not only now, but in the future as well. And Paul writes to the Corinthians, he's like, look, God loves a cheerful giver. There's something about, you know, you don't give because, ah, crap, I got to pull this out. No, that's not, that's not it. Jesus says, man, I want you to give cheerfully. And what's the motivation? Look at what I've given to you. And so like those Old Testament sacrifices that we read about in the Old Testament that, that somehow, that ultimately pointed to Jesus' sacrifice as this well-pleasing aroma to the nostrils of God. It's like God's up there going, ah, it's good. That's what, he, that's what he says about our generosity. Because when we're generous, then we're acting just like our Father who, who created us in his very image. It's an amazing thing. Man, are you generous like that? Just think, think about that for a second. Has the gospel taken such deep root in your life that you're willing to give up some of the comforts of your own home and of your life in order to invest in others for the sake of the gospel? And it was in the Philippian church. And look, I know it is in this church. Again, I've been here 15 years. I've seen it. But some of you, some of you go to Grace Community Church. Some of you are Grace Community Church. Right? And, and if you're not a part of what's going on here, man, I just invite you in. Man, get involved in what's going on here. Make a difference. Not only here locally, temporarily, in the lives of people, but for eternity, man. Make a difference. Invest in the gospel. I shamelessly invite you to join us, man. There's good things going on here. Okay. Paul. This guy. Beaten down, chained up, shipwrecked, all the things he went through. He says, man, I'm content. I don't need anything. What is it about contentment that's so elusive? I mean, I like to think I'm a content person. I'm preaching on it, okay? But when Jerry's fast walked in the office, is Jerry even here? He might, he might be. Uh, when he, oh, there he is. When he walked in the office the other day, fresh off a trip from Costco, and says, hey, Matt and Dave, the new 85-inch flat screens are in. Something began to stir. Now, look, I have a TV. But when I got home that night, and I sit down with my wife, we're eating popcorn, watching my meager 55-incher hanging on the wall. I saw all this space around it. And I'm just, I never noticed it before. It's, I, I don't know what it is. And, and earlier, a couple weeks ago, there was this young man in my house. And um, he recently just bought an SUV this past year. It's a used vehicle, but it was really nice. And he loved it. He's excited about it. But it, when, when my daughter... I, actually, she's like my second daughter, Katie. She's lived with us. I consider her my daughter. When she pulled up in, in this and parked in front of his rig, this 2018 Forerunner, that's my wife in it, so, and she's getting ideas. Look at her. Hey, back to the 05 minivan, sweetheart. It's not dead yet. But anyway, uh, when, when she pulled up in this, this, this young man looked at me dead serious and said, that makes me want to throw my rig in the trash. <laughs> and he was dead serious. I mean, contentment, it's so elusive. And sometimes we can feel helpless 
Who knows, maybe Paul can help us. Three things I think we need to see about contentment that I think will help us understand what it is. The first thing is Paul says, look, it's a secret. Contentment's a secret that he learned. And so what does he mean by it's a secret? A couple things. Number one, it's simply, it's just not obvious to, the, to, the, to any of us. Right? It's not obvious apparent to our common sense. It's a secret. And that's the other thing. It is a secret, and we all want to know secrets. Right? It, it, everybody wants to know we want to be on the inside of these secrets. So it's this universal desire that everybody has to, to want to know what the secret is. And so, so we look for this contentment in things that can't possibly deliver. And you know what we, I mean, relationships, uh, money, stuff, boats, cars, you name it, jobs, a new look, right? I mean, I heard they're weaving, you get, ladies are weaving up your eyebrows now. I mean, weave away, but that's probably not going to be the, you know, the, the thing that actually lands you there. But what, here's what happens, though. Sometimes when we get that very thing that we've been looking for, we realize that it only unleashes some of these desires for, for something else. It just always seems to be eluding us. And why is that? It's a secret. Paul says it's a secret. It's not something we all know. And all those good things that we desire and think that are going to bring us contentment, Paul says there's something deeper, there's something more. And the things of this world cannot fulfill eternal longings. Look, I love my wife, I love my kids, I love them to death. Start crying. Um, Thinking about those guys. But as great as they are, and by the way, Jeremy's here, him and Talina just got married. They just got back from their honeymoon, so whoop. Um, So that's awesome. And if I tell you about my daughter who just got engaged yesterday, I'm going to start bawling, so let's just not even do that. So I don't know what's happening in my family, but that's awesome. Um, And here's the deal. We love them both, so that's a bonus because that doesn't always happen. Um, But yeah, I'm not talking about the kids, I'm talking about the new kids, okay? But look, I love those guys. And and, and my wife and I, we have, I mean, such a deep, intimate relationship. And and it's rough sometimes. She comes around. But um, I I mean, it's as hard as it can be sometimes. Listen, it's, it's the greatest thing besides my relationship. It's the greatest thing I have here. But as great as that is and as much fulfillment and satisfaction as I get from that, she will never give me the things that I need at the deepest levels. And I will never give those things to her. And we're pretty tight. You just can't do it. Can't do it. And I hate to, gosh, my son just got married. What? (laughs) Yep. She's great. And he's great, but he's not that great. Um, But that's the thing. I mean, it'll never satisfy at the deepest, our deepest needs. It's a secret. Second thing we learned from Paul, we got to keep going here. Uh, Counterfeit contentment is exposed by our plenty or want. So how you can know if you have the legit contentment is if it can stand up under having plenty or abounding or having it all or having nothing and having things, you know, basically like, Paul, man, I got nothing here. 
And your contentment can stay intact. That's how you can know. Because think about it. We start off in life thinking, look, we don't think contentment's a secret. We know where to find it. And the world's quick to help us out. Yeah, here it is. You just get a, you know, it's, it's the right job. It's the right spouse. It's the right house. It's the right circle of friends. It's the right eye- eyebrows. It's the right look. It's, it's all those things. Right? You, you, just, you just get those in line and everything will fall into place. And so we chase our dream, our dreams of contentment, not knowing that it's actually a secret. And those people who are most disillusioned, excuse me, when they, when they get there, when they actually realize this, is A, people that, that while chasing their dreams and, and finding the fulfillment out there in the world, they, they realize something gets in the way, they crash and burn, they realize they, they don't have anything that the world says is valuable, and they're sitting there broken without anything, totally in want, completely discontent. Or the people, on the other hand, that get everything, that actually attain all of their dreams, and they're standing there at the end, and they have all the stuff they ever wanted, right? They got the beautiful family, they've got their house in, you know, Central Oregon, one at the coast, all these things. And they realize, ah, there's got to be something more. Those are the people that come and understand that, that contentment is not something that's tied to plenty or want. It's not dependent on those things. You guys know this guy, Russell Brand, kind of a snarky English guy. Listen to this quote. He was just in an interview and he said, he said, man, I thought it'd be good to be rich and famous and to have stuff and to be invited to the party. Well, I've been invited to the party and I've been in there. And we're in there, we're having this chat in this private Swish men's club in East London, and it's super cool, and there's bare brick walls, and everybody's double good looking. But I've been inside now, and I've seen the other side. I've seen the other side of the looking glass, and it ain't effing worth it, he says. It ain't worth it. It doesn't feed your soul. I still feel empty inside. Or think about, think about in the Old Testament, right? I mean, if anybody should have been content, it was King Solomon. Right, talk about a guy that could celebrate diversity. I mean, this guy had it all. He had all the fame, all the power, all the wealth, all the money. He built these amazing architecture, um, these buildings and gardens and all these things. Had any woman he ever wanted, the best wine, the, the, the best cigars. I mean, you name it, he had everything. And at the end of his, in, in the end, as he's looking over his his, his, his empire. We read these words in Ecclesiastes. He says, look, man, I denied myself nothing. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my labors, and this was the reward for all of my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. What if Solomon was right? What if Russell Brand was right? What if the Apostle Paul is right that true contentment is actually a secret? It's not something we see, but there's something more. And and here's the danger for most of us. Most of us don't actually crash and burn and lose everything. And most of us, and very few of us actually attain all of our dreams and all of the aspirations and the visions and the plan that we had for ourselves. So we stay around bouncing in the middle. 
right? We stay behind this veil that says, no, no, it's just a little farther. Just keep going. No, you're doing good. You're doing good. Just, you know, retirement's right there and all those things that are going to bring you contentment. Just keep going. It's right there. And therefore, we stay in the lie longer. I think it's better to either have it all and realize, not it, or be completely crushed and devastated. Oh, it must be somewhere else. It must be somewhere else. I think we all come to it eventually. And, and when we realize we can respond in four different ways. The first way we can respond when we realize that, hey, th- this is not paying off, is we can blame the thing itself. The, the, it it kind of goes like this. Where am I at in my notes here? Um, it goes like this. The, the reason I'm unhappy is I just need something different. I need a better spouse. I need a better house. I need a better job. I, I need a better dream. Again, the eyebrows. I, I need a better physique. I just lose a few pounds. That's what's going to do it. I'm going to get healthy, and then I'm going to be fully content. You just, you, you just disregard your old dream, and you just get a new dream. And you blame things, and you disregard people. And your favorite button on Facebook is maybe because you, you don't want to commit to anything because something better might just be around the corner. This makes you driven and anxious. And you're always changing your your look. You're changing your your car. You're changing your life. And it's exhausting. And it results in a really unstable life. That's one response. The other thing is you can can blame yourself. This is something we do. We we, we look out in the world. we, We realize everybody else is attaining their dream. You, you believe everybody's profile on Facebook. You see, man, there's the family. Look at those guys. They're sitting down. Everybody's there. They're having this great meal. What you don't see is two hours later after dad drank a little too much, plates flying across the kitchen. Those things don't get posted on Facebook. Not normally. Some of you guys. Anyway, um, but, but, but so, so you start believing these things. And you believe that everybody else has received and is achieving and there's something must be wrong with me. And so you dig and you dig and you spend all your time in self-help books and you go to counselors. Look, every single one of you has psychological issues. Every one of you. And, and me too. And we could all do, uh, we could all benefit and should probably from sitting down with, with, with counselors from time to time and, and your pastors and, and good wise friends. Man, we need to talk about, yeah, things that happen in our pet. That's important stuff. But here's the danger. The danger is maybe the reason that you're not content and not fulfilled has to do with things like meaning and significance. Things maybe the sciences can't really speak to. They can't tell you what ought to be. Maybe, maybe it's because you don't know why you're here. You don't know what to do with your guilt and your shame that we all carry. You don't know why you have to die. You don't know how to find your purpose in this world that's broken. And so it could be that you don't know that the secret of contentment has to do with deeper things like meaning and significance. And so so you can blame the things. You can blame yourself and just get really down on yourself. Another thing you can do is you can blame the world. I see this, blame the universe, right? You realize that nothing you've hoped in is going to actually deliver, right? You've been disappointed on every front. You've been hurt and disillusioned. And now you conclude that, that the world, this, this world is all that there is. And so I'm never going to put myself out there again. I'm never going to give myself to anybody again. And you resolve to destroy all of your dreams. You're never going to be disappointed. It's like saying, look, I didn't like the smell of that. So you cut your nose off. 
It's like, I'm, I'm tired of getting hurt. So you make your heart hard as stone. And you build this box around your life, not realizing that what you're building is your own tomb. It's tragic. It's tragic. And you become cynical. And it's just, it's a horrifying response. Or, or you could blame and recognize that somehow you are separated from God. There, there's, there's a problem there. You come to the realization that there's someone or something or someone greater. Something must be out there. There must be more than what I see here. Remember C.S. Lewis said things like, if I have a desire to eat ice cream, there's ice cream. I have a desire to have sex, there's sex. I have a desire to sleep, there's sleep. If I have a desire that's unfulfilled and unmet in this world, I must be made for something else. That's what's going on. You could respond this way. You could realize that your, your satisfaction, your deepest contentment can't be found in the things of this world. Even as Christians, even those of us who have put our faith in Christ and know what Paul's talking about experientially, man, we wander and we find ourselves hoping and being discouraged and disappointed and disillusioned. So even us, we need to go back to what we know, know to be true. It's easy to wander living in the world that we do. I mean, we've all got discontent machines in our pockets all day, every day. But contentment was something that Paul learned. He said, look, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. He doesn't say he discovered it. He says he learns it. And this doesn't mean he didn't know the concept of contentment. I mean, he's he's an expert in the Old Testament law. I mean, he knows the idea, but he's saying, I've been initiated into it. Learning contentment happens in in the everyday life. It's the ups and downs of life that's going to teach. It's not like you go to school to learn contentment. You learn it when, when things fail or when things go really good. There's something in this world, this everyday life. That's where Paul learned it. In Acts 16, Paul is said to be brought into this lady Lydia's house. She's a seller of purple. Seems like she's got a lot of cake. And so after Paul, Paul she's, one, she's the first convert to the Philippian church. And she says, come on in and stay with us. So he's staying there. Don't tell me that old boy wasn't tempted to call it good there. Man, he, everything he'd been through, don't tell me he wasn't tempted to sell out and say, no, nah, we'll just hang out here. This is the Lord's will for me. And then, but, but he didn't. His contentment was in Christ, he said. And then later in that same chapter, when him and his boy Silas are beat to a pulp and thrown in jail because they've delivered this, this possessed girl from not only her bondage, but also her pimps that were profiting off her. And they find themselves in the deepest, darkest part of this, this dungeon. What are they doing at midnight? And they're singing praises to God. Who does that? Bloodied and beaten. His circumstances didn't have anything to do with his contentment. And so he learned the secret. He learned that, that he could do all this. Now, this is not score touchdowns. Okay, we see this verse on touchdown posters. And some people, hey, I can make a million dollars through Christ. Who makes sure. And maybe you can. Good for you. Support something well. But um, he's saying, I can do all this. 
I can do the plenty, I can do the want, and I cannot be wrecked by either. My contentment is in Christ. I can do all of it because Jesus somehow strengthens and stabilizes me. And and we've seen through this whole book that Paul realizes and he's learned that knowing Christ and being found in him is of far greater value than anything this world can offer. And he's also learned that the things that he and some others used to think were gain, all of his great pedigree and all these things, he says, man, it's rubbish. It's garbage compared to the, the greatness of the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ and me being found in him, and, and not by anything I did, but by his grace and grace alone in my life. He says it's better. He says that is what grounds me. That is where my hope is, my, my, my joy. It's there. Paul says that he's learned it. He's learned the secret. And for Paul, the secret has a name. And it's Jesus. Now listen. If you spend your lives, if we spend our lives trying to find our contentment and fulfillment and meaning in the temporal things of this world, you will at the end find yourself empty, devastated, without hope, exhausted, and, and wailing in regret. That's, I, I, I can promise you that. I mean, in the end, that's where it leads. The things of this world can't provide what, but what you need. Only in Jesus Christ and the strength and security and hope and life that he provides both now on to eternity. Only in there will you find that deep, lasting contentment that Paul's talking about. It's, you can't find it anywhere else. And Paul knew that. And he's reminding them of that and... He's really, he's telling us that today. Now, you guys know the secret too. That's the secret. The question is, will you learn it? Will you learn that secret? In Ecclesiastes chapter three, later in that book, we see some of the most beautiful words penned in that book. It says, he, that is God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also set eternity into the human heart. Think about what he's saying there. He's saying God has made all kinds of beautiful things. There's beauty in, 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 in relationships. There's beauty in wine. There's beauty in marriage. There's beauty in, in, in fields and streams. There's beauty in all these things in, in, in marriage. and So much beauty. And God made it for us to enjoy. But he also created you with eternal desires. And you were created for eternal beauty and eternal joy. And, and you were created for eternal love. Do you know that? That you were created for this eternal love. Let me ask you this. Where can you find a love like that? Where can you find a love that will satisfy the deepest needs, that will transcend all the other loves in this world? Where can you find that? The answer we get from the Bible and from Paul here in Philippians is you find it in Christ, in him alone. And Paul's life wasn't easy. It was absolute hell at times. He was suffering. No doubt he was annoyed. I mean, don't ever let anybody tell you, hey, man, come to Jesus. Your life will be great. Paul's still bleeding, I'm sure. Pus oozing, chain on his wrist as he's writing this letter. It's not easy. But he he has found something that every person on this planet is desperate for. 
Paul says, it's Christ. And do you know this God? I mean, I mean, do you really know him? Not, 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 not do you come to church, but have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good, man? He's so good. And that you know with this great confidence and great joy that, that, that he loves you. And that he has come, and at a great cost to himself, he's come to give his life for you. And it, it just blows my mind. It's, it's incredible to know that, that he came to take our sin upon himself. He came to take my guilt, my shame, my drunkenness, my lust, my greed, my pride, your gr- greed, your lust, your shame, your pride, your drunkenness. He came to take it all on himself. And he took it to the cross And he was crushed for our sin. And we read this word. And God the Father made him Jesus who knew no sin. He made him become sin for us. So that we in him might become the righteousness of God. It's staggering to me to know that Jesus knew what he was getting into when he came to this world. But he went to that cross with you in mind and with me in mind. And for the joy set before him, he endured, despised the shame and endured the cross because he knew that you and me could be brought into the loving arms of a father where we could experience this internal love that that we were created for. We're not going to find it anyplace else. And I know you long for this kind of love. I know you do. You were created for it. And you can go through the four responses and get all weird with it if you want, but, but um, you know, you keep trying, keep looking, but I'm telling you, the secret is here and now. And it's him. And I spent half of my life trying to figure this out. Um, you know, I didn't even know I was looking for stuff. I had some good things in my life, but there was just... And then one day, 23 years ago, this, this dude, this trippy-looking dude from Astoria, he hands me this Bible. And I'm in Astoria, and I go home, and I'm reading it. And I've been talking to my wife, and she already got saved. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm not going to go into full detail, but I'm in the bathroom, and I'm reading the book of John. And I come across that, that passage, 14.6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And I, whew, I'm there. And I just said to him, and you guys know me, I'm just some dude. I just said to him, I said, look, um, if you're there, because I didn't, I wasn't sure. I said, if you're there, and I want you to come into my life, now would you forgive my sin? And would you, I, I want to know you. And I don't know much. All I know is that at that moment, there was this assurance that rushed over me. Okay, so, and I knew, I just knew that he heard that prayer. I knew he did. Now I can explain theologically why. I didn't know jack squat. I just said, man, yes. Yes. And I'll tell you what. It was the best decision I've ever made in my life. That's a good one over there, but that was the best one. And so for those of you who don't know Jesus, man, I wish I could just give you, I can't do that. I can't do it. That right there, that's up to you. That's up to you. These, these tables that we have set up, I'm going to invite the worship team up. And, um, 
these tables represent a couple things, really. For those of us who believe and have put their faith in Christ, and it's, this is a reminder for us. The bread, Jesus says, is his body that's been broken for us. The wine, his blood that's been poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. So we come and remember. But listen, these tables are also an invitation. There's also an invitation that goes out throughout all the scripture. Come and buy bread with, money, with, with no money. You couldn't afford it. Come drink freely. There's this, this echo throughout the scripture. Come. And in Acts 16, there's a Philippian jailer, and, and he comes and sees that his great need. And he looks at Paul and he says, Hey, Paul, what must I do to be saved? And Paul simply says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. No formula, no nothing. Just stop believing that the things of your life are going to do it for you and turn and say yes to him and see if he shows up. Just see if he shows up. Believe in him. And for those who take that step, man, we invite you also, come. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.